Well, I, I think what we faced last week, uh, if it is to be described as a natural disaster, uh, I heard reports of winds greater than 100 miles an hour in some places in South Green. Um, we must say that this is just part and parcel of what it means to live in this fallen world. Uh, there are other kinds of disasters that happen every day all over the world. Death and uh, human atrocities and natural disasters are only part of it. There are many conflicting responses to these kinds of things, both within the church and without. Um, some think that everything is just blind fate. Um, just whatever will be, will be. Uh, others would consider that maybe God knows everything, but He doesn't get involved in the details. He just knows what's happening. Others would say that He generally kind of guides the universe, but He's not involved in, in, in the daily lives of men. Still, I think others would claim that everything bad that happens in the earth is Satan, and everything good that happens is God. Well, against all of these unbiblical reactions, we must say that God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. And everything that happens, whether we think it's good or bad, is God. There are people who are going to ask you, why is this happening? What, what is wrong? We don't know the answers to the whys, except that God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. And we're going to, going to talk about that this morning. He sovereignly rules over every detail of His universe. This includes pain and suffering and disaster as well as blessing. Nothing happens apart from His fatherly hand. So the Christian is never, nor is anyone ever, subject to a blind fate where things just happen without any purpose. No, everything is in the hands of a loving Father. It is not whatever will be, will be, but rather whatever will be is what God has ordained to be. You see, providence is personal. Heidelberg 27 states the doctrine of God's providence this way. God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with His hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, as in a blade of grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. If it's not by God's fatherly hand, then what causes the evil? And if it's not God who causes things to happen according to His plan, then everything is uncertain. No, we believe that the Scriptures clearly teach that everything that happens, happens because God has ordained it. And that whatever He ordains ultimately is good. Well, the text is Job 1. Job chapter 1. If you'd open your Bibles, please, to Job 1. I'm going to read the entire first chapter. This is God's holy word. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. 
he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I returned. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Let us pray. Almighty and most holy God, we know that all things truly are from you. Your high and holy ends we cannot fathom, but we know that you are our Father. There is no amount of pain that you yourself have not experienced in the life of Jesus Christ, your only Son. We pray that you would help us to understand this text and to trust you in both good times and bad. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I've often said that for the Christian, doctrine rightly understood is the most helpful of all things. There's this perception, I think, in, in many churches that learning doctrine is, is, is something that's just dry and formal and it doesn't really matter. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Understanding our doctrine is applicable to every phase of our lives. And nothing could be more true for everyday life than a knowledge of the doctrine of God's providence and His sovereignty, which we will talk about today. The Shorter Catechism says that God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. All of His creatures, everything He's created, and all of our actions are governed and preserved by God's holiness and His wisdom and His power. God rules over all that happens. Whether good or bad, God rules over all. And this is a truth that we should never forget. I apologize for those of you who have heard this illustration before, but it's, it's the most striking evidence to me of what it means to, to just wrap around, wrap your mind around the goodness and the providence of God. This is uh, when Dr. Legan Duncan was the uh, head pastor at uh, First Pres, I believe, in Jackson, Mississippi. And a family had driven to the beach for the weekend and were driving home Saturday night. It was, a, I believe, a mother, father, and three daughters. And on the way home, on the highway, a drunk driver crossed the median and crashed into their vehicle. Um, the father was instantly killed. Uh, the mother was knocked out. Um, I believe two of the daughters died. One was in intensive care. They called Dr. Duncan to the hospital, and the doctor said the, the mother is about to wake up from uh, anesthesia. She'd had some severe injuries and had been operated on. He said, well, does she know anything yet? And they said, no, he do she doesn't know that her husband and two of her daughters are dead. We'd like you to, to tell her for us. So he went in and he told her, your, your husband is dead. Your daughters are dead. One daughter is still alive. She's in intensive care. Um, can I pray with you? And she said, yes, but before you do, let us sing the doxology together. What gave her this confidence in God? She knew her doctrine. She knew God and His attributes as seen in the Word of God, that God is true and His ways are right and just. And as they sang the doxology together, tears streaming down both of their faces, Dr. Duncan said it, something that he would never, ever forget, this deep faith in God. Well, it's that deep faith in God and His providence that should guide all of us and seems to have guided Job. The title of the sermon is God Rules, or I should say, It is the Lord. We'll talk about God ruling over blessings, God ruling over Satan, and God ruling over death and disaster. 
And then finally, we'll conclude with our response to God's providence. I'm going to spend just a a moment, again, the best distillation of biblical doctrine I believe that's ever been written is the Westminster Confession of Faith. I encourage you to read this during your family worship today. I encourage you to turn off your television, put down your phones, and spend some time working through the confession. Chapter 5 is of providence. Listen to these words and then go through the proof texts on your own. God, the great Creator of all things, does uphold, direct, and dispose and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least, by His most wise, holy providence, according to His infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of His own will, to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and the decree of God, who is the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, And yet, by the same providence, He orders them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. Second causes are the works of creation and providence in the affairs of men. And yet, God in His ordinary providence makes use of means, the means to accomplish His ends. Yet, He is free to work without, above, and against them at His pleasure. And it goes on from there. We'll see that the Scriptures indeed teach that every word that I just stated is true. This is true doctrine. God does rule over all things. Whatever happens in life and in death, it is the Lord. Well, if you'd open your Bibles again to Job and look at the first verse, we'll see that God rules over blessing. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He was blameless and upright. This doesn't mean that he was perfect. This means that he strove to serve God. He loved God. He feared God. And he hated his sin. He turned away from evil. We know from the rest of Scripture that even his faith was a gift of God. God rules over all blessings, even the blessing of faith. Read Ephesians 2. We also know that Job was wealthy. Wealth, of of course, is not always a result of right living. You can live a righteous life and be very poor. Jesus was the most blameless and upright man who ever lived. He lived in poverty, did He not? As did all of the apostles and Paul. Upright men called to important service and yet living in poverty. They feared God and fled from their sin as well, but they were poor men. So we see that Material blessings or the lack of material blessings are also part of God's providence. Certainly there's a general principle we see in Proverbs and throughout the Scriptures that if you work hard, you will be blessed in your work. But this is not always the case. Why? Because God rules over all. Well, how rich was Job by God's decree? He was the wealthiest man in the east, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, 
and very many slaves, and he was the greatest of all the people in the East. And Satan says to him in verse, to God in verse 10, you have blessed the work of his hands. You have blessed his possessions. God had made this man great. The wealthiest man in the East. He was the Elon Musk of that era, except that he loved God. We cannot again say that his wealth was a direct result of his right living. The only thing that was a, it was a direct result of is God's will. We can't say that any more than we can say the destruction of his family and of his own health later and of his estate was a result of his sin. No, but God did all those things for his own purposes. But God had made him rich for sure. God had blessed him. After all of the disaster, in the last chapter of Job, we read that the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. God rules over all blessing. Anything good that you have in life comes from the Father of lights who gives good gifts, who sustains all things for His own pleasure. Anything good that you have in life, bless the Lord with your soul. Everything good is from God. Big gifts and small gifts. And you need to train your minds every day to look at the things that come into your life that bring you pleasure and just thank God. Even the smallest things. Seeing a bird in the sky, thank God for that. Seeing a sunrise or a rainbow. Pause and thank God. Do you think it's random? Do you think anything in the world is random? No. So that means God put this thing in front of your eyes or allowed you to experience this moment as a gift. Every breath is a gift. Every heartbeat is a gift. Every amount of love you have from your children or your wife or your husband is a gift. All gifts are from God. And He's a God who delights in blessing the world and blessing His children. Read Psalm 104. So God rules over blessing, but secondly, second point, we see that God rules over Satan. Yahweh, the Almighty God, He is omnipotent. He has all power. He's omniscient. He has all wisdom. He knows everything beginning and end. He's eternal. He's holy, and He is the Creator of all things, including the spirit world, which we know very little about. He created Satan. Colossians 1 says, For by Him all things were created in heaven, speaking of the spiritual realm, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. God created Satan. God created the demons. God created the angels. We don't know exactly how this all works in our lives, but we know it all works according to God's perfect plan. It's when we read Satan doing evil deeds throughout the Scripture, This is part of God's plan. He created Satan and He uses him for His own purposes. 
For a time, we know that for His own glory, He has given Satan some measure of authority. Satan, though, is on a leash. When God loosens that leash and allows Satan to do more than he previously had, he's still God's Satan. So our spiritual warfare is real. You can't read the Scriptures, especially the New Testament, and not know that there is a spiritual war raging that we cannot see. We do not know. But Scripture does tell us something about Satan. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He hates you. He seeks your destruction. He hates your church. He hates your family. He's a murderer and has been a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. So what does Satan say to God in verse 9? Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has? You see, Satan is acknowledging that he cannot do anything beyond what God has ordained. There's a hedge about Job. Protecting Job and his estate, his family, his life. And Satan cannot go beyond the bounds which God has ordained for him. He's limited by what he can do. By God. And God is still hedging about His people today. This is very important for us to understand and we'll talk about why in a moment. So the Lord said to Satan, the Lord's going to loosen the leash a little bit. Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So we see that God rules over Satan in all of his delegated authority or delegated rule. He's given Satan a measure of authority on earth. A measure of power greater than we can understand. Revelation 12.9 calls Satan the deceiver of the whole world. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see that all of mankind is under the grip of Satan until God opens their eyes. The prince of the power of the air, he's called by Paul. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But you see, this is all within the limits of God's plan. Daniel 2.21 says that God is the one who removes kings and sets up kings. God is the one who works on the earth. And the book of the Revelation shows that all of the system of the world is working in cohort with Satan's plan, but what they don't realize is it is actually all working according to God's plan. Satan's rule is a delegated rule, and he only does what he is allowed to do. That he is ordained to do. God is able to use wickedness without being charged with sin. He uses sin sinlessly. We see also that God rules over Satan's power over nature and power over life and death. See, Satan is a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. He kills. He murders. But God states in Deuteronomy 32 that He says, I am He, and there is no God beside Me. I kill and I make alive. 
I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. Ultimately, life and death is in the power of God. Satan does also seem to bring about natural disasters at times in the Word of God. We see that in Job. Natural disaster, wind, fire. But the greatest natural disaster of all time in all human history was brought about by God Himself. It was a flood that covered the whole earth. It's not only Satan who controls nature. Indeed, it's probably a minuscule amount of control that God has given Satan. What God does with nature is certainly prevalent. So we see that God rules over blessings. God rules over Satan in the spirit world. Let's talk specifically about God's rule over death and disaster. The third point. At the end of all Job's troubles, what does Job say? Job 41. They showed Job sympathy and comfort him, comforted him for all of the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Not sinning as bringing evil upon him, but as in hardship. All the hardship that the Lord had brought upon him. It wasn't ultimately Satan that did these things to Job. Ultimately, it was the Lord. God used the wicked Satan for His own glorious purposes. It was the Lord then, it's the Lord today. Who blew the wind that destroyed so much property? The Lord. And we see how God used Satan in the life of Job. Using death and using disaster. He does use Satan's wickedness at times to accomplish his purposes. But he often, and I would say usually, acts apart from Satan. He uses means, but he can work around, over, and against those second causes, the means at his own good pleasure. But first, let's look at the human atrocity that we see in verse 15 of Job 1. The Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck them down. The slaves with the edge of the sword and only one escaped. We also see the Chaldeans making raid on the camels and stealing them and killing the slaves with the edge of the sword. The death that we see in the world the injustice that we see in the world. This is not bare permission. This is God's plan. He uses even the, the hardest providences for His glory. We'll come back to that. Look at the natural disasters that we see in Job 1. Verse 16, the fire of God fell from heaven. Verse 19, a great wind came and struck the corners of the house. There are some who would use this text of Job 1 to say that all the bad things that happen in the world are actually just done by Satan. God has nothing to do with it. God only does good things. He only brings life and He only brings blessing. Any death or disaster you see in the world, that's only Satan. God would never ever do anything like that. Those who think these things just don't know their Bible. You haven't read your Bible. 
Remember, God destroyed the entire world with a flood. Countless thousands, maybe millions of people destroyed by flood. He killed the entire population of the world, except for Noah and his family. He destroyed wicked Sodom and Gomorrah. He told the Israelites to destroy all of the people of the Amorites in Canaan. Ultimately, He is the one who brings disaster and death. And you think, well, that's just not right. Our God would never do that. Well, if you say that, you're also rejecting the death of His own Son, which was the most unjust act in all of human history. He brought an unjust death to His own beloved Son. This was God's definite plan and foreknowledge that He would do this. Planned from before the beginning of the world that His own Son would be sent to be killed by wicked men. No, it's as Joseph told his brothers after he had been sold into slavery as a young boy, spent years in prison, suffering. He said, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. God meant it for good. And just think, would you rather have the power of death and disaster in the hands of God or in the hands of Satan? Certainly you would rather have God, which the Scriptures teach us, God in charge of all that happens. Read Psalm 104. Read Psalm 119. Read Psalm 19. Read Psalm 139. Read the Gospels. God rules over every part of His creation and all the works of His creation and providence. The rule of God in all of life is a great comfort for the believer. You see, if something were outside His rule and reign, if something were apart from His sovereign plan, then nothing is certain. All of His promises are in doubt. The Word of God isn't the solid Word that we think it is. And we actually have no hope at all. If there's a chance that something God hasn't ordained would happen, then there's also a chance that Satan would conquer God. There's also a chance that something would happen that would destroy all of God's plan. No, that's not what the Scriptures teach. I'm convinced that every molecule of light in the farthest star of the galaxy moves according to God's definite plan. It's controlled by the power of God. Every single drop of water in the ocean, every atom of every drop of water in the farthest, deepest sea is in place and doing exactly as it should because of God's perfect plan. Every breeze and every gust of wind blows because God has said, go. Every bird that flies through the sky, every worm that digs a hole in the ground, every blade of grass that pops up in the middle of nowhere, Every sand in the desert of Sahara is in place because God has put it there. Every star that burns in space burns by the power of God. This is a great comfort to us. Nothing happens apart from His plan. This is our only comfort in life and in death. That we are not our own. We belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He preserves me in such a way 
that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. So the purpose of all that God does, of all of His providence, what's the purpose of it all? It's His own glory. And our good. Isaiah 48, 9-11. It's a wonderful text displaying this glorious truth. Isaiah 48, 9-11. God says, For My name's sake, I defer My anger. For the sake of My praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. You see, it's for their good. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Why? For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. What's our chief end in life? What's our primary purpose? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You see, you only enjoy God when you look at Him and you see His glory in all that happens. Trusting that everything that happens is part of His plan. God rules over blessing. He rules over Satan. He rules over disaster and death. And what is our response to this glorious truth? Our first response is just to stand in awe. To stand in awe at the glories of God. To acknowledge with Job that we are not God. Job's wealth and his blessing had caused him to love and honor God. I think our first response after standing in awe of God is just devotion and worship. Response to blessing certainly should be devotion and worship. Job knew that he deserved nothing, and yet God had blessed him. What was his response to all of the blessing? It wasn't increased worldliness or increasing his sin. No, it was the opposite. He was blameless and upright. He feared God and turned away from evil continually. He saw God in His power and His tender care. And it resulted in a devotion that was not radical. It wasn't exciting to the world's eyes. It wasn't worthy of a post on Instagram. It's simply just the normal Christian life. It should be our response to all of God's blessings. Devotion in His, in his spiritual duties. He worshipped. He took time to, to train His family. It says Job would send and consecrate his family, his children. He would send for them, and then he would consecrate them. He would set them apart. The word consecrate is kadosh. This is a word we've talked about before. It means holy. He would holy his children. He would set them apart from the ordinary, as God has set apart this day from the other six days of the week. He would set, set apart his children for, for God's purposes. Job instructed his children and mentored them in the ways of the Lord and did this continually. You see, his devotion to God flowed out to his own family. Before Deuteronomy was ever written, he was diligently teaching his children. 
He was talking of the things of God, the commandments of God in his house when he walked by the way, when he lied down and when he rose up. And so many great men of the Bible experienced such great blessing from God. They failed with their own children. Adam had a son who killed his other son. What happened? We don't know exactly. Jacob had sons that were fighting with each other. That were murdering whole cities. Samuel had sons that would steal the offerings and have sex with people who came to church. David never trained his sons. Solomon failed with his own children. And Hezekiah, who was highlighted as one of the greatest kings who ever lived, the very next son after Hezekiah was Manasseh, the most evil of all the kings of Judah. And yet Job was faithful to sin and consecrate his children continually. His blessing resulted in increased devotion both to God and training his family. We also see in light of his great blessing, a deep worship, a deep sense of worship of the holy God. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Perhaps, Job said, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And Job did this continuously. When you read burnt offerings, don't be put off. What we're seeing is just a man who's worshiping God. Every day, continually, day after day after day, he lived for God. In light of all of his blessings, he was diligent even to consider the sins of the heart of his children. He was diligent to worship God. Similarly, I would say our response to blessing should be faithfulness. We should pursue God. We should love God. We are blessed beyond measure. Brothers and sisters, we are. No one in church history has lived the life that we have lived. Safety, prosperity, blessing, the Word of God, more teaching than we can ever, ever listen to or ever read. We should be, of all of God's people, the most devoted to His own worship. We should be pursuing and loving God. We should be taking up our cross daily to follow Him. No, this isn't, this isn't that epic missions trip to Zimbabwe or Peru but this is what God calls us to every day. The normal Christian life. The ordinary means of grace. Devoting yourself to God's Word and His commandments. To honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. To corporate worship and family worship and corporate prayer and private prayer. As I said, none of this is radical. None of this is extraordinary, but it is God's way. So when you're seeing the blessing of God in your life, know that you deserve not one iota of any blessing that you've received. Your health and your sleep, your family, your finances, your property, your peace, your church, your government, name the blessing. It's all a gift from God and you should worship and honor Him. But what about the response to hardship? Look at Job's response to hardship. Verse 20. Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. See, this was real hardship. He's not making light of his hardship. The death of his children. The destruction of all of his property. 
It affected him deeply. But then he fell on the ground and worshipped. He fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. He knew that God had given Job his life, his wife, his family, his possessions, his wealth. And God can take it all whenever He wants. This is why we also should hold all of our possessions loosely. We should hold all that God has given us loosely, including our family, including our children and our parents. We hold all of it loosely. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I know I didn't experience near what many people in this community have experienced, but I was near the edge of my barn trying to, to foolishly trying to, to restore this door that was just flapping, this giant three or four hundred pound barn door was just flapping in the wind like a piece of paper. And I thought, that's going to destroy this barn. I need to go and wire this thing closed. So I'm being pulled back and forth by this barn door and thinking this is not smart. I had it wired closed on one end and I was in the process of wiring the other end. And I looked behind me because I saw or heard some, some creaking and the, the, the wall was blowing inward. And I thought in the moment, I better get out of here. And I walked out of the barn just as that wall collapsed and the, the whole roof swung down. It wasn't where I was standing, but it was a moment. And that reaction was a reaction of thanksgiving. I'm just being transparent with you. I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for preserving my life. Thank you that you preserved these animals. Thank you that this barn did not fall to the ground. But then something else happens. Then some shingles started blowing off the house a little bit later in the day, and the electricity went out. And although I didn't actively thank God, I wasn't yet grumbling in my heart. But as it went on, and after three, four, five, six hours, eight hours of no electricity, I could feel the grumbling beginning in my own heart. And then the next day, I was trying to, to clean up a little bit and um, just to keep my, my battery on my four-wheeler is, is weak, uh, even though... I replaced it and charged it. It just it's weak, so I don't want to turn it off. And I left the four wheeler in gear, and I got off of it and forgot to put the brake on. And because it was still in gear, as it's putting and idle, it starts creeping forward. And next thing I know, it's racing forward, and it's crashed into the house, made more damage. And my response was not, "The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away." Blessed be the name of the Lord. My response was, "Lord." Really? The barn just collapsed. Really? Oh, and I said, Lord, forgive me. Thank you. Thank you for preserving my home. It's a solid home. And then I realized that some trees had fallen on the fence, so I had to get the, I had to get the chainsaw and, and be, begin clearing this brush. So I got this very reliable chainsaw and I started pulling on the cord and the cord snapped right out of my hand. I said, Lord, this is one more thing. 
How much? Again, you can see how I've, I've taken what should have been the God-glorifying position of someone who trusts God in all things, and as things began to pile on, my focus came inward. And that's what happens. That's what happens to all of us. The sooner you take your eye, as soon as you take your eyes off of God, and things continue to happen, you begin turning inward on yourself and grumbling against the Lord in your heart. So our response to hardship should always be immediately back to God. Thank you, Lord. You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Everything in your life that you have. You only have it because God has given it. And if He takes it, He takes it. And blessed be the name of the Lord. God was glorified in all that happened to Job. And Job learned to rejoice always and in everything to give thanks. To pray without ceasing. If our primary purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, that means everything is meant to bring glory to God. And everything is meant to bring glory to God. Because the Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. Everything comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens. And His kingdom rules over all. Don't you know that two sparrows are sold for a penny and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father? And even the very hairs of your head are numbered? Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. God holds the entire universe together by the word of His power. He rules over the lives of men and both good and bad happen according to His perfect plan. Psalm 139 teaches us that every day of your life is written before one of your days ever comes to be. Paul says God's works are inscrutable. He's the potter and we are the clay. This knowledge, each moment of your life, is part of God's cosmic plan of redemption and all for His glory. This knowledge causes us to be patient in adversity. We know that God is doing something good. We know that the future is completely in our God's hands. We don't know why things happen. And ultimately, it's none of our business why God does what He does. But we know that He makes no mistakes. That He is absolutely true without any error. No false starts. And He works all things together for good to those who love Him. So what this does to the Christian is that everything that happens has, has an eternal focus to it. An eternal flavor. Every conversation is an eternal conversation. You're talking to an eternal being in the sense that they will live forever, ever, either, either in heaven or in hell. Everything that happens to you has been planned from the beginning of time. So whether the Lord gives or the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He knows you personally and He desires your worship. And all that you do should be to His glory. Because in the end, all glory will be to God. To Christ. He Himself experienced the full spectrum of human suffering on earth. And He is working His plan of redemption to perfection. No mistakes. To perfection. And when all is over, He will send His Son and bring us all home 
to glory. And there will be no hardship, no pain, no suffering, only worship and communion with our holy God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your providence. We thank you for your mighty power. We pray in Jesus' name that you would be glorified in our lives, that you would be glorified in your works of creation, that you would be glorified in the providences in our lives. And we pray that this knowledge of you would encourage our souls. That we would remember that there is nothing that happens apart from the will of our Father in heaven. And that he does all things good. And he does all things right. He does all things with justice. He does all things with wisdom. Lord, let our hearts never grumble. But always with thanksgiving. To praise God from whom all blessings flow. In Jesus' name, amen.